Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 3 of Second Story Work, the novel. My name is Josh Sabalski, author of Second Story Work. Today we're going to be covering... Redo. Today we're going to be covering chapters 6 through 10 of my debut novel, which was released September 28th, 2020. I hope you all enjoy it. Chapter 6, October 4th, 2009. Messi sat on the couch eating Doritos and nursing a beer. He and Derek needed sun. They were stir-crazy. Sitting in a hotel room for 72 hours straight will do that. The morning news played on TV, and they've been all over it for days. Not the way they envisioned getting their 15 minutes. February 1st, 2008. The boys moved to Vancouver on a Friday. They shopped for mattresses before Hecky dropped them off at the new house with all of their belongings. He returned to Squamish for the weekend to go skiing. He would be moving in the following Monday. Arlov, Messi, and Derek spent their first hours in the house getting things in order. Derek cooked shrimp alfredo and garlic bread for supper, and they watched a movie on Messi's laptop before turning in for the night. Derek went back to his room and lay in his bed staring at the ceiling. He began to wonder what he'd gotten himself into. Here he was, 5,000 kilometers away from home in a place totally foreign to him chasing a crazy dream. He heard a commotion downstairs, followed by some laughter. He walked down to check things out. In the living room, he found Messi and Arlov drinking. Messi was lying on a bare floor, and Arlov was sitting on a paint bucket that the landlord had left behind. What's going on? asked Eric. We got no money, no jobs, no furniture. I'm sick as fuck, but I'm drinking anyways, said Messi. You're just a fucking treat, eh, Mess? Derek grabbed a glass and made himself a rye and coke. He lay on the floor on the other side of the living room, opposite Messi. Arlov sat between them. We moved 5,000 kilometers for this, eh, boys? It's still better than what I'd be doing in Pembroke, said Messi. Likewise, said Arlov. Hey, thanks for dinner, dude, said Messi. It was great. Homemade shrimp, bro. What could be better, said Derek with a straight face. Yeah, it was phenomenal, said Arlov before doing a double take and looking back at Derek. Wait, what? No, it's not a thing. Derek laughed to himself. Messi and Arlov looked at each other. What's so funny, dude? Asked Messi. The shrimp thing? It's not funny. Derek continued. No, dude, we don't have a goddamn thing. I don't even have a chair to sit in. We've got that giant box and my futon came in, said Arlov. I've got a mat on the floor with one blanket, joked Messi. I hope you're prepared for some just friends spooning if I get cold. I'll never be prepared for that, replied Derek. I don't even have drawers to put my clothes in. The only thing I own is this goddamn drink, and it's a rental, said Messi. I don't even know if I can afford deodorant, Arlov chimed in. That's fine, said Derek. You deserve to smell as bad as you look. The next day, the boys woke up around noon. Derek made breakfast, and afterward, they boarded a train and did a lap of the entire city. They saw some of Vancouver's beauty and some of its filthy underbelly. They returned to the house, showered, and dressed for the evening ahead. Messi threw on something pink, Arlov threw on something denim, and Derek put on jeans, a button-down shirt, and a sports jacket. They sat on the living room floor playing cards and talking about what lay ahead. Monday morning meant job hunting, reality, stress, bills, and bullshit. They called a cab to go to a nightclub near the mall in Coquitlam. There were a few people in line when the boys arrived at 10.05 p.m. Derek looked at his watch. God damn, it's so early to be at a bar. He lit a cigarette and took a deep drag. A group of five girls lined up behind him. They were pretty cute, and one in particular caught Derek's eye. 
She was a petite, twine-thin beauty with sunrise gold hair and blossom-soft lips. She was dressed in a rebellious manner, wearing heels, jeans, a tank top, and a leather jacket. Derek turned to her and grinned. You want to get out of here? She looked at Derek. That's kind of forward. Nah, Derek scoffed. I went to a different bar, one with no line. Besides, you're my type. I'm everyone's type, she replied. Why is that? asked Derek. Because I'm hot, she replied. Derek laughed. I'm Derek. Tiffany. The next morning, Derek woke up naked on the floor of a movie theater in a house he had never been in before. The room was pitch black except for a small sliver of light coming in below the door. Tiffany, he called out, looking for her to turn on a light. No answer. Derek stood up and felt the wall for a light switch. He shuffled carefully towards the light, located the door handle, and opened it. Outside the theater, in an open space, five girls from the night before were sipping on coffee and staring at Derek's naked body. He closed the door as quick as he had opened it and went back inside. He left it open just enough to locate his clothes and get dressed. He walked out to greet the girls. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, they replied. What are you up to? Tiffany answered. Just talking. Oh yeah? Derek looked around. Where are the boys? You tell us, answered one of Tiffany's friends. Derek pulled out his phone. Two 5 a.m. text messages from Arlov and Messi. Arlov's text read, Sorry, Sarge. I had to get out of there. I banged these two girls. Never had a threesome before. I felt weird after. They will definitely need to change their sheets. Anyway, I didn't really want to see them in the morning. Sorry to abandon you. I hope it's okay. Derek couldn't blame him. Arlov hadn't been with many girls, so two in one night and three in a week must have been a whirlwind for him. Messi's text read, Hey fuckface, after I steamed their lenses, I didn't want to share a bed with them, so I bailed. Any girls that double up on me aren't worth my time. Sorry to leave you. Hopefully you bail too before you have to do the walk of shame. Nothing from them, said Derek. Tiffany smiled at Derek as he started to walk towards the staircase. He turned to the girls and returned the smile. Take care, ladies. Derek ran upstairs and left the house. He sprinted all the way home. He walked into the house, kicked off his shoes, and locked the door. He could hear Messi and Arlov talking. Their voices became louder as Derek walked into the kitchen. They were having a morning coffee on the floor. Pot's full, bud, said Messi. Pot is full? Derek asked in a sarcastic tone. You guys totally fucked me back there. What? replied Arlov. I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure you're the only person I didn't fuck last night. Bingo, said Messi. Messi and Arlov laughed as Derek walked into the kitchen and poured himself a cup of coffee. You guys fucked each other, eh? Who was the bottom? Arlov and Messi looked at each other and smirked. Arlov turned back to Derek. Did it take the whole morning for you to find your dignity, or... Derek cut in. I just kept circling over and over, asking myself, if I was my dignity... Where would I be? It's somewhere back in Coquitlam, I think, joked Messi. The boys continued to chirp Derek about how right they were to leave. Derek wasn't having it. Messi, you just revel in amorality. What'd that mean? asked Messi. Derek shook his head and smirked. Oh, I hated that girl. Yo, said Messi. She told Arlov she was in school. What kind of school would have her? Derek scoffed. I don't know, dude. The Georgian Institute of Culinary Hairdressing? Chapter 7, October 4th, 2009. Derek's pulse raced more than usual. It's not coming down, and he needs to stop. That'd be just what his parents need, to find out that he overdosed on coke next to a huge bag of cash. 
His biggest fear was his family finding out what he'd been up to. But no one knows it was Derek. No one knows it was messy. Their faces aren't splattered on the news or in the papers. Yet. They might be soon. February 2008. Monday morning, the boys woke up hungover and in need of jobs. Hecky had an explosives tech job lined up for April 1st on the show he'd been working on previously. The boys pressed him hard to see if there was any shot that they could get on it too. They weren't in Vancouver to stock shelves or wait tables. They wanted to be on set and to play music. Messi, Arlova, and Derek's parents began to mail their belongings to them. Messi received his bass in the mail, Arlov's drums arrived, and Derek's parents sent out two guitars. Later in the week, Derek started looking online for jobs that could take him to shooting season. He applied to 20 or so jobs. Every morning for the next 10 days, Derek went through this routine. Wake up, apply for jobs, nap, eat, and play music. Finally, after a few weeks of searching, he was given an interview with a liquor store on Hastings Street in Burnaby. The job was stocking coolers and shelves. Simple work. East Hastings was a notorious area in Vancouver. Derek had heard stories from locals about the area, and he had his apprehensions about the job. The store itself was called the Burnaby Liquor Warehouse. It was a giant retail liquor store. The outside was a deep purple, and the inside had high-end finishes. Derek killed the interview and received a job offer on the spot, at $10 an hour. He was happy to have a job and knew he could make extra cash and tips. On the drive home, he gloated that he was the first one to lock down a job. Messi and Arlov were jealous at first. However, a few days later, Arlov got offered a job at a camera warehouse. This left Messi as the only jobless one left, which didn't sit well with him. He continued to search online and even started going out with resumes in person in an attempt to land a job. Ten days after Derek was hired at the liquor store, his boss approached him and offered him a promotion to be a supervisor. The job meant more responsibility with 32 hours a week and 11.25 an hour. That same day, the house phone rang at 6 p.m. The call was for Derek, and on the other end of the line was his buddy Greg from back home. Greg had moved to Edmonton months before Derek moved west, and he was working on the oil rigs. Derek answered, Hello? It's O.C. O.C. meant O'Connor. O.C. yelled Derek. How's Van? Oh, that's pretty wild so far, Derek replied. I've got next week off. I was going to fly into Van if you're free. Yeah, buddy, yelled Derek. Do it. I've got a few days off. You can crash on our couch. Cool. I'll fly in on Friday. Derek's excitement was obvious. OC was a good guy who was always up for a good time. Derek loved OC like a brother. They'd known each other since they were four. There was just one problem. They didn't have a couch. On Saturday, Derek and the boys took OC to Coquitlam for the night. At 2 a.m., they left the bar and returned home, hammered drunk. O.C. climbed the neighbor's tree while Messi let his flag fly in the middle of the street. The boys went inside the house and walked upstairs to Hecky's room. He started busting up lines for him and Messi. They were planning to split an eight. Derek also threw an eight into the mix, and Hecky and Messi looked at him. I don't do coke, joked Messi. Blow me, said Derek. No, really, give me some blow. Hecky busted up rocks and lined it up with his credit card. He handed Derek a $100 bill. Derek took the tutor and bumped. Fuck! The rush went straight to his head. OC was uncomfortable as he watched them from the doorway. You can smoke a joint in here if you want, Derek said. Yeah, maybe I will, said OC. He left the room and came back a few seconds later with some weed. Messi, Hecky, and Derek made short work of the first eight ball. 
They chatted and poked fun at each other. OC made fun of Derek for being a voluntarist. You know, OC, if my dad were a teacher, I'd be a liberal too. Derek snapped back before bumping again. You keep bumping that shit up your nose and you're going to be as bald as my dad. I'm fine with that, said Derek. Now when you're 30, OC shot back. You know, thought Derek, in a socialist utopia, the haired would provide wigs for the bald. Don't start, Sarge. I get it. You hate the government. OC turned to Messi and Hecky. Has this guy ever given you his long-winded rants about how they lied us into the Iraq war? Yeah, said Messi. He got most of that from me. You? asked OC. Yeah, replied Messi. I was over in Afghanistan for a minute. Everyone would talk about what bullshit it was to go to Iraq. So, OC wondered. He's not just talking out of his ass? Well, said Messi with a sly smile. Not about that. Derek laughed. You guys are just choked that my Marty genetics are superior to your Marty pathetics. The next day, Derek woke up at noon and he was in rough shape. Five hours of railers wears you out. He surveyed the damage. There were bottles and remnants of coke everywhere. Arlov was the only one awake. He was quietly playing rock band next to OC who was still passed out. Arlov paused the game and fixed Derek a cup of coffee while Derek cleaned up some of the mess. Arlov handed Derek his cup and he took it as he walked to the backyard. Derek sat in a lawn chair and lit a cigarette. He took a deep drag, shut his eyes, and relaxed. As he opened his eyes, the back door swung open. Out walked OC. What's up? asked Derek. Tired as fuck. OC sat in one of the lawn chairs and lit a cigarette. He took a drag and blew out the smoke. Wild night, eh? Yeah, pretty crazy. Not usually like that, Derek sighed. Normally we bang chicks, not railers. OC wondered, how often do you guys do that? Not often, Derek replied. You must do it enough. You guys each did two grams at least. Derek nodded his head. That's the first time I've done it since I've been out here. All right, replied OC. Just don't make a habit out of it. Chapter 8, October 4th, 2009. Derek wondered if he could even leave the motel room. What if someone was watching? He knew he was more than a little paranoid. It had been days since they left their room and they were both going crazy. He took a shower, hoping it would calm him down. All it did was clean him up. He needed to see a face other than Messi's and have a drink other than beer. It was time for coffee and a real meal. He looked through the peephole in the door before opening it. He peeked his head out slowly and looked around the parking lot. There were only three cars parked out front, and one of them was theirs. He lit a cigarette, stepped outside, and shut the door behind him. Smoke filled his lungs as he took a haul. It had been days since his last smoke. He walked across the street to eat at a mom-and-pop-style diner. March 2008 On March 1st, the boys had another rent check to cut, and Messi's concern grew about money. Derek arrived home from work around midnight. Messi was still awake watching the Warriors. Derek sat down on the couch beside him and opened a beer. I dropped off your resume. Messi replied, Thanks, buddy. I actually got a job. It's with a production house down the street. Nice, shouted Derek. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. It's 10 bucks an hour, but could be my foot in the door. Derek sat on the couch feeling jealous. Everyone had an opportunity to get a film job except for him. March 30th, 2008. Hecky received the call he'd been waiting for. Only it wasn't what he had hoped. His shoot was being pushed back a month to start on May 1st. He would get some explosives training before shooting started, but his work term had been cut drastically. He was barely scraping by. 
Derek hoped to continue working part-time, but even with his raise and tips, he was barely breaking even. Messi and Arlov were going in the hole a little deeper every week. Messi began pushing hard for the boys to shoot something. They began shooting comedy skits around the neighborhood and putting them on YouTube, but it wasn't something they could post on a resume or get work for. Messi didn't have money to shoot anything, but he did have access to people and equipment. It seemed feasible that they could make a film. They just needed capital to make it happen. They were fortunate to be getting paid every Thursday, but by Sunday, the money was gone. Even with cutting out the coke, money was still tight. They were stuck in a rut. All that positive momentum from the move had subsided, and the real world had crushed them in just two months. April 25th, 2008. Hecky received the call to start work. The show had been cut from a 13-episode order down to just eight. That meant Hecky's three and a half months of work had just become two months. Money was already an issue for him, and now he wouldn't get his hours to qualify for employment insurance when the work ran out. Hecky was out of work by June 28th. He managed to save a few grand after paying off his debts, but the demand for explosive texts had dwindled. Messi was getting the odd day call from a guy he'd met who was a gaffer on B-movies. Arlov was driving gear around and was unhappy about his job. He began talking about returning to Manitoba when their lease ended to work with his father up north. As for Derek, he was promoted to assistant manager in mid-June with a nice little bump in pay. Even with the pay increase, he was still constantly broke. It had been a few months and he was no closer to any of his goals and he hadn't even had a sniff of a film set. None of the boys were where they wanted to be. By mid-July, Derek started to notice some serious security issues within his store. Every night at closing time, around 11.30 p.m., he and his staff would open the exit, lock the door, and set a security alarm. He would then lock the outside door. The exit door was in a dimly lit alley away from the street with no windows facing it. It seemed easy for a thief to get to them before the alarm was set and force them back inside. One night after a particularly busy Saturday during the August long weekend, he and two cashiers were counting money until midnight when the phone rang. Hello, answered Derek, thinking it was a customer inquiry. On the other end of the line was a security company checking up on things. Their tardiness triggered an alarm. Derek calmly explained to them that they had a busy day at the store and they were just finishing the counts. That was good enough for them. No security officer showed up to check on things. Nothing happened. Derek locked up and went home for the night. It seemed that the store was ripe for the picking if a thief were to know about their security issues. Chapter 9, October 4th, 2009. Derek walked into the diner to enjoy his first real meal in three days. At the front of the diner, he was greeted by the hostess and led to a seat at the bar. The diner had a long bar at the back and it looked like a classic 60s diner, complete with the throwback theme. The waitresses dressed in 1960s themed dresses and the men wore white slacks and a shirt with a paper hat. Derek sat down. The girl working the bar offered him coffee and poured it. The coffee was garbage. Diner mud, but not to Derek, not then. Moments later, she stopped in front of him and took his order. Derek ordered an extra large platter with three eggs, bacon, ham, sausage, hash browns, toast, and brown beans. He looked around the diner and laughed to himself. All of his favorite movies had scenes in diners just like this. Robert De Niro meeting Amy Brenneman in Heat, 
Anthony Edwards discovering a nuclear bomb and coming to LA in Miracle Mile. Michael J. Fox meeting his dad in Back to the Future. After a few minutes, Derek's food arrived. And not much later, he was done. He wiped his mouth and leaned back in his seat, satisfied. He noticed a girl walk in unescorted. She took a seat at the bar, two seats over from Derek. She was sharply dressed in a navy blue pinstripe blazer and jeans. He could only see her back as she confidently walked past him. Her hourglass figure caught his attention. Derek knew it wasn't the best time to try courting a girl. He looked awful and he probably smelled worse. He could taste the bitterness on the back of his tongue from his coke nasal drip. He tried to avoid eye contact. The more he thought about talking to her, the more he decided he shouldn't. His chaos didn't belong in her world. Could you pass the sugar? Derek felt her cool, soothing voice tingle his insides. Then it hit him. He had to reply. Fuck. Huh? He asked, startled by her voice. He looked up from his empty plate and locked eyes with her. His jaw nearly hit the floor. She was the most beautiful girl he had ever laid eyes on. Her long, sable hair hit the morning light as she brushed it from her face. It crashed ever so perfectly over her shoulders. Derek smiled and attempted to speak to her. Nope. He continued to stare into her rapture blue eyes that were partially hidden by long velvety eyelashes. Derek couldn't believe what he was looking at. Her eyes were as blue as the waters of St. Thomas. He couldn't find the words to speak. Rarely was he ever speechless. But looking at her, today, in this diner, he was. Everything about her was bright and beautiful. She was the most gorgeous girl he'd laid eyes on. The sugar, please? She asked again, politely with a smile, almost as if she was used to this. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem, Derek replied. She reached out her hand, and Derek handed her the sugar. Their hands touched briefly, and he felt the softness of her skin against his. Thanks. She sat quietly, sipping on her coffee. Derek watched her and thought hard about what to say. All he wanted to do was talk to her. What could he say? Every pickup line he knew was meant for trashy girls he would meet at a bar at night. Do you want to come back to my hotel with my bags of money and drugs? It seemed fate wasn't on Derek's side. She and he weren't meant to be. He watched her drink her coffee and text on her phone. It pained Derek to know he could never have a girl like her. He didn't deserve one. August 2008. Tuesday night after the August long weekend, the boys went out for a night at the Soho. They arrived at the bar and sat outside next to a large fire pit. They discussed their struggles. Their lease was up on September the 30th, and Derek was tempted to abandon the whole BC move. The reality was that they couldn't pay their bills. August rent was a few days late, and the three of them were short. Derek broached the subject. Boys, I'm not going to live 5,000 kilometers away from my family to work in retail and pay too much for everything. Yeah, I'm with you, said Arlov. Hecky, you're the only one making headway, said Derek. Yeah, I don't know, Hecky chimed in. With the economy tanking, I might be out of work too. They're pulling productions every day, and no one wants to blow shit up no more. I've been talking to Kent too, Messi cut in. Our chances of getting in the union are slim to nil. And without cash to shoot our shit, what's the fucking point? Arlov sighed. It seems so early to throw in the towel. It is, Arlov. Derek replied, but how long are you willing to keep grinding out paychecks and going in the hole? Rest of the world does it, Arlov answered. Yeah, but did the rest of the world do what we did? We moved across the country to take a chance. Shit, no one takes chances anymore. Fucking 
people can't even make a choice for themselves. You're right, said Messi. I won't do it. I won't, Derek spoke up with conviction. I won't call my parents either. I refuse. I'm either surviving here on my own or I'll go home and I'll make fucking tape. I can't go home, said Messi. I can't let people there know that this didn't work. Neither can I, Messi, Derek shot back. But I might have to do that soon. That night, the boys boozed at the Soho until it shut down. They spilled out drunk onto the street, hopped on a bus and headed home. They arrived home, popped open more bottles of beer and sat around the living room. The mood was somber, almost as if they were at a funeral. There was only one thing that would lift the crowd, but no one had the money to make it happen. And Derek didn't want to give up his stash. His mind had been racing for a few days. His mood and his mindset were changing. He worried daily that someone was going to rob his store. He had anxiety during every closing shift that he worked. You okay? Asked Messi. Derek paused for a moment and thought to himself, I'm fine, dude. Just worried. About money? Among other things, Derek answered. Like what? Arlov asked. Just work. You still like it? Asked Messi. I do, Derek answered. I just worry that some night someone's going to rob us. Why do you think that? Wondered Hecky, jumping in on the conversation. Well, Derek thought to himself for a moment. I mean, every night I count tons of cash. Last weekend alone, we took in 25000 a day. Messi chimed in. You worry someone will come in during your counts? No, replied Derek. After we count, when we're leaving, I mean. Like our system for leaving is so fucked. Have you ever been robbed? Asked Arlov. No, Derek said convincingly. The store used to be owned by a biker gang, so no one ever fucked with them. Now it's not. Crazy, shouted Hecky. Derek nodded his head. Yeah, I worry about the day someone swings an axe through the door. That's surprising, said Messi. You'd think they'd tighten things up. They're so cheap, dude, Derek laughed. If you shoved a quarter down their throat, they'd shit out two dimes. Jesus, said Messi. Yeah, Derek continued. I have access to all the safes except for the daily drop box. And you could cut through that thing in about 10 seconds. Ah, with any luck, you'll be gone before that happens, said Hecky. Chapter 10, October 4th, 2009. Derek made a quick stop for two more coffees and walked back across the street to his motel room. He strolled through the motel parking lot and noticed a brown bloodhound dog wandering the parking lot alone. The dog had no leash and no collar on him. Derek lit a cigarette and approached the dog. It looked up at him and paused. Derek stood still and the bloodhound lay down on the ground. Derek slowly approached him and pet him on the head. The dog moaned and groaned as Derek began to rub his ears. Where's your owner, boy? Derek knelt to one knee and rubbed the dog on the back of his neck. The dog attempted to lick Derek, but he withdrew. Standing back up, Derek looked around the parking lot and the dog began to pant heavily. Derek walked toward his motel room and the dog followed him. Messi was waiting for Derek at the door. He was a mess. Is this me? He asked, pointing to the coffee. Well, it isn't the dogs, replied Derek, sarcastically as he walked into their room. Messi shut the door behind him. Derek grabbed a bottle of water and poured it into the ice bucket. He opened the motel room door and set the bucket in the doorway. The dog began to drink it. What's with the fucking dog? Asked Messi. Dude, you need to breathe or fall out. I'm not sleeping, and I'm not walking, Sarge. Derek shook his head. Dude, it's nice out. Go for a walk. And get clipped by the 5-0, Messi replied. I was just out there, 
Derek grew frustrated. There isn't a cop in sight. They're playing possum, Sarge. And if you keep going out there flossing, they're going to be in our lunch so fast. Derek cut Massey off. Dude, I spent $11. Don't jump the couch, all right? I was hardly suspicious. Messi took a look outside again. It can't be this easy, Sarge. We couldn't have gotten away that easy. Derek grinned. We made a clean sneak. Be happy. We're free. Derek picked up his dirty laundry bag from his bed and slung it over his shoulder. He then grabbed his guitar case and walked towards the door. Messi looked around. Are you going back out there? Jesus. Yes, Messi. Go out and get some sun, you hophead. Messi had lost it. He jumped back in his bed and pulled the covers over him. Derek exited and walked back across the street to the laundromat. There were a few other people doing laundry inside the rundown, dumpy building. He set down his laundry on one of the machines and began pulling out clothes and piling them into the washer. He started two machines and noticed a copy of a local Calgary paper on the table. He grabbed it and sat down to read it. The dog jumped up on the chair beside him. Someone had let him in. A voice startled Derek from behind. You didn't like the diner coffee? Derek turned around and looked up from his paper. Standing behind him was the girl from the diner, the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. Sorry? Derek asked. You didn't like the diner coffee? She replied. Oh, Derek laughed. Not really. Yeah, me neither. It's awful. Why did you get it? Derek asked. Are you hoping they'll get it right one day? Something like that. Derek looked back to his paper and pet the dog on the head. The girl walked over to a machine and loaded it with laundry. Derek watched her from the corner of his eye. What could he say to her to make him seem interesting? She walked back toward him. Do you play? She asked as she tapped her foot on his guitar case. I do. Are you planning to serenade your dog in the laundromat? Maybe, Derek grinned. You're certainly dressed to impress. Derek looked down at his clothes and laughed. He looked homeless. This outfit is revolutionary. You look like you just fought in a revolution, joked the girl. Derek laughed. She was funny. She smiled at him, and he smiled back. Over her left shoulder, he noticed that they were the only two people left in the laundromat. Mind if I sit? She asked. Absolutely not. Where's your dog's collar? Derek looked. He's not my dog. He was wandering this morning, and I just gave him water, and now he's followed me ever since. Are you from town here? She asked as she pointed out the window. I'm not. I'm from Ontario. Oh, you came all this way to do your laundry and pick up strays? Derek grinned. I actually live in Vancouver. My buddy and I are driving back there. So, why did you bring your guitar to the laundromat? Derek smiled. To serenade the dog. She laughed. Her laugh was perfect. Derek continued. I had planned to play out front to kill time. Oh, that's cool. Are you going to play right now? Derek nodded. I'll come watch, she continued. She took a step back away from Derek to allow him to pick up his guitar case. She smiled as he stood up. The dog followed him. Derek started thinking that the less he said, the more impressed she might be. She watched as he walked to the door and grabbed the chair. He stepped outside, sat down, and pulled out his guitar. The door to the laundromat swung open just as he began to tune his guitar. She walked outside and casually stood in front of him while he tuned. He glanced up and she was smiling at him and petting the dog. First customers, she joked. What do you want to hear? Have you written anything? She asked. Oh, I was asking the dog joked Derek as he cracked a smile. She laughed and rolled her eyes. Derek picked at his guitar strings and began to play an original tune. He picked at the strings slowly and she smiled at him as he began to sing the words. A single look, a single stare, 
and I can't look away. A single conversation stole my attention, and I can't look away. I've never known what I need, and now it's right in front of me, and I can't look away. And you look at me, and I smile, and I can't look away. The words poured effortlessly from Derek's lips. It was his first time playing the song for an audience. She stood in front of him, swaying back and forth as he sang to her. She smiled the entire time he played, her halo white teeth glowing in the rising sun of the morning. Derek strummed the last few notes, and for a moment, the two of them stared at each other in silence. I'm Mandy. I'm Derek. Thanks so much for listening to episode three of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sobalski. Please give me a follow on Facebook and Instagram. That's at author Josh Sobalski, as well as Twitter. And on Twitter, my handle is author J Sobalski. I also host a podcast with my good friend Corey Leckie titled Second Story, where we interview guests who have gone through a massive change in their life that sent them in a different direction. You can find that podcast on Google, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Take care.